Hello and welcome to yet another edition of Carly Minogue, The Diminutive Collection. Every week, Kieran and Christy G revisit the Pop Boomerang's classic albums and relive some of her final moments. And in order to compile the most definitive Carly collection yet, we will choose two of the best songs from each of her studio albums that make us feel all Carly smiling. And then the dodgy ditties that are Kylie Minono's. So this week we step back in time to March 98, or January 98 if you're in Australia, where indie Kylie stepped onto the scene and fans and critics were left scratching their heads wondering if she took that one step too far. We are talking about her most misunderstood and divisive albums, Impossible Princess. Also for today's episode, we are joined by a very special guest, Nathan, who is originally from the US, but has been a massive Kylie fan for years. Nathan, welcome to the madness. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thank you. So tell Hello. us about how you, how you knew of Kylie. Um, so Kylie's first album uh, was quite successful in the US in 1988, I, th- I believe it was. Um, and uh, I had the cassette and uh, my mother and I used to listen to that every weekend when we go shopping. So, uh, so yeah, we both really, really, really enjoyed that. And then um, I also had Enjoy Yourself on CD, uh, in the US release. And then I didn't, didn't rediscover her until 1994 when I moved to San Francisco and found import record stores. How many times have you seen Kylie live? I know the answer, but let our listeners know. 39. 39 times, my lord. (laughs) How many many of those shows have you seen more than once? If there was a show you went to, how many have you seen more than once? Uh, One, two, three, four, five, six. And of those tours I'd seen. And of each of those tours, did you go to any of the shows, any of those tours more than once? Yes, six of them I went to more than once. Uh, two I went to, one I went to six, one I went to five, and then a few were two, and I think one was three maybe. You, tra- you travelled quite a long way as well to see Kylie, didn't you? you kind of, you've not just gone on the, on the tube and gone to Wembley, <laughs> you've gone further afield, haven't you, to see Kylie? Yes, a friend and I went to Latvia and Lithuania for Aphrodite. Um, I went to Monaco and Budapest for Kiss Me Once. I went to New York for the For Me For You tour. Um, and, uh, and then I've traveled all over the UK, for, which is just insane. Uh, it was an insane amount of money back then. And um, I didn't have a lot of money, but I, you know, I, I splurged. So, um, so yeah, that was, the, and it was also the first, um, the first sort of new, newer Kylie album that I bought as, after I was like sort of reintroduced to her. So you hadn't heard Kylie 94, the, the album before this? I'd, I'd heard it, but, um, but I didn't have it. We all thought it was, it was very grown up and it sounded like I worked at a clothing store that used to play uh, brand new heavies a lot and I thought it sounded a lot like the brand new heavies. Um. <laughs> Kieran, we said that last week. Did I say yeah. one of those awful songs? Where, where, uh, where did the love go? Sounds like it should be in a shoe shop playing in the background. <laughs> It was one of those songs that you just hear irritatingly in the background, just kind of making people walk in a certain rhythm. That's by the by. <laughs> so going back to the album, I think, I think well, after oh, yeah. the, the, the re- release of the Kylie Minogue record, I think she was kind of looking for what her next musical direction was, was going to be, right? So I think obviously the duet with Nick Cave pushed her into more of a kind of indie, edgy kind of realm. But it was around that time where she went on a tour with her then boyfriend. She went to Southern China and America with her then boyfriend, Stefan Sedanio. How, how do you say his name? Nathan. Sendui? Stefan Sendui. So this was I kind think. of, a, you know, I think this kind of helped her and her confidence. But every time I, I just, when I was reading about this album and listening to it back, I kind of felt like, 
I felt, I felt like basically it was this, I had the same feeling listening to it that I had when I first listened to Kylie Minogue. I think I wasn't ready for Indie Kylie at the time when I first listened to it. But listening back, I appreciate the album and I really like the album. But I really thought that listening to it back in hindsight, it's a very, very, very good album. So you see, I, you mentioned Stefan's name there and I was just doing a little bit of reading back over the years. And I feel that this period of time, and this will kind of, uh, kind of give away how I feel about this album, uh, I find that Kylie had lost her complete essence, had lost her complete soul. There is no Kylie on this album. And while I was reading around, we had William Baker pulling the strings and turning her into some kind of his own pop puppet. We had Nick Cave saying, come on, Kylie, sing, uh, do I Should Be So Lucky as a poem. And then she had Stefan, who according to William Baker in the book La La La, was particularly critical of the way she sang, the way she looked, the way she did things. And he had a very, very dominating relationship with her. And I'm thinking that she was probably more of a pop puppet at this point than she was with PWL. And I don't think we see any of Kylie in this period of time. Although I seem they kind of, they were like Heathers, weren't they? All these boys were like Heathers and she was the Veronica. And they pushed her into a corner that she didn't really want to go into, I think, because the song, the voice doesn't sound great on the songs. And I just think the songs sound so drab and joyless and awful that, um, well, you can tell that I don't like it. <laughs> but, but like, we, we were talking about her continual growth and evolution through from, you know, Rhythm of Love through to Let's Get To It, which is a very different album, through to Kylie Minogue, which is a total shift change. I think this was just her step in trying to define herself as an artist, trying to try, try different things. I mean, as a kid, I used to put, you know, I went through my impossible princess phase by, you know, putting gaffer tape on my clothing. You know, it was her kind of trying to, you know, to, it was her way of trying a little bit, something a little bit different. She's always said in interviews, if I don't keep changing, I'm going to be bored if I, don't, if I still do the same thing. So maybe this is, I don't know. I agree. And, and you know, obviously we've seen Kylie, Kylie's growth over time, but dare I say it, Kylie's growth has always been kind of managed by the men she's been with. Michael Hutchins pushed her in the direction of going sexy for, for better there be no videos yeah. and then the Rhythm of Love album and, and let's get to it. <clears throat> and then, you know, it seems to me men have come in and kind of said, Kylie, I think you should do this and you should do that. And of course, I think this album was a bit like one of those kind of, it was like a Teenage Rebellion album, wasn't it? She, the first few albums were kind of like Claire Accessories, then Kylie 94 was uh, French Connection and this was kind of like some Camden Market album which was kind of a bit kind of like out there nose rings where it, which got a bit septic and it just so but, but she, I think she needed to do it to kind of to work out tell, can I get maybe some of the anger because it sounds like an angry album to me the songs are quite aggressive they're not pl- pleasant to listen to the, the kind of dancey ones um and I think maybe this is where her this was her exorcising demons from maybe 10 years beforehand Nathan what are your thoughts yeah I, I mean I can see why people think it sounds angry because it's just so totally different to anything she'd done. But I, I don't take it as angry. I take it as really sort of self-reflective and, um, you know, maybe that's the, the real person there and we just hadn't seen it before. And it's um, she kind of an all, honest, she honest look at herself. I mean, she wrote, exactly. Yeah. So it's from the, it's from the heart. So, you know, even if she was being, steered somewhere you know she's still those are still her words so um i was reading that she was inspired by her label mates and stefan's roster of clients which were garbage tricky and bjork and with this record she had complete total creative freedom so this actually marked the first time she had unilateral creative control in her career 
So and it took it two years to produce. The album took two years yeah. to put the songs together. So I mean, that's quite a long time because obviously she once upon a time would make an album in in two weeks. So having two two years to do this, but I found it interesting that the record company or the A and R chap didn't have much to do with selecting the songs. And apparently when he heard them, he was horrified by them. So it's interesting that, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes you need to have a guardian angel who knows what they're doing to kind of guide you. But I think in this occasion, again, as I keep saying, she sounded like she was given free reign, but obviously pushed by all these kind of influences into creating something that she, I, I don't know, it's almost like people were just whispering in her ear, you've got to do something that's totally different to what you did before. You've got to, kind of cut off your past because even during this period of time the, 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 the 96 97 if you look at Kylie on television she was just kind of pale and she looked like she was off her head half the time and I I don't think she was even there as a human being she if you look at Kylie now with the dazzling the dazzling eyes the dazzling teeth the dazzling shimmer and you compare her to I mean I was watching a, a couple of clips of Kylie on TFI Friday where she had the short crop and she was obviously paralytic across the table and then there was her on top of the pops with that horrible kind of thin makeup. And if you look at the record sleeves, the record sleeves, she's, she's never looked so unattractive. See, I really like the look and feel of, of the whole packaging of this album. Um, so, so it was the creative director of the album was Stefan, of course. And he went to look at the pop culture for French and Japanese pop culture. And he really, mm. his influence was that erotic photography by Nabiyoshi Araki. Nabiyoshi Araki. Um, but I think she looks great. That the... the I think I really like yeah. some kind of bliss. <laughs> I mean, she does look like she she's terrible. Shot of heroin in the back alley there, but I reckon I really like the look of it. Like, it was something completely different, and again, it reflected what the album is. It's not. It wasn't your typical Kylie album, and I think she was trying to run away from, you know, the stock ache and Mortimer years. And I, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, Princess Diana had a very big impact. The death of Princess Diana had a very big impact on this album. Mm. And yeah, she died. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon, Christian. Too soon. For a minute, I thought you, minute, I thought you said she was going to... I thought you were going to say she had done backing vocals. Yeah, she did the BV she had. May. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, th- I think this album was saddled with lots of mishaps. So, I, I, uh, so Diana had died in August of um, 97. Yes, right? 97, yeah. <laughs> That's yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and so because this album was called Impossible Princess, it was, it was deemed inappropriate to, to have the word princess anywhere. So they changed it to Kylie Minogue. Which only, in was, the, only, only in Europe, though. So oh, yeah. the rest of the world yeah. in Australia is Impossible Princess. And yeah, which is a great title. It's a great title. It oh, great. It came and from the, the... And, the re, and the reissue in the UK was also re, renamed back yeah. to Impossible Princess. Yeah. But I wonder why they went for Kylie Minogue. I mean, why couldn't they have gone for maybe one of the other album tracks? Why do you think well, just they call were, it Impossible or Princess. <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe Impossible or call it In Dreams or something that, you know, they could have had a load of other options because this would have been the third album to be named after a name. But it's very lazy, doesn't it? <laughs> the, obviously, the name change obviously caused a, a delay for the release in Europe. So in Australia, it was released in January and in March, it was released in Europe. So that was obviously a two-month <laughs> delay. And it went down very well in Australia, didn't it? Oh, Australia loved it. Australia really, really Ooh. enjoyed it. Hence, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the internet and live later, but, um, you know, that, that was extended due to her popularity. So, yeah, the Australians love Impossible Princess and loved that kind of style Ooh. of music anyway. Uh, the critics weren't, weren't too happy with it. Uh, I think m e wrote She's a Total Fraud in one of the, <laughs> the kind of critiques on the album. But should we, should we talk about 
the track by track now since we've spoken yes. about the album and holds. So the very first track on the album is a song called Too Far. What are you guys' thoughts, Nathan? Uh, I really like this one, but I think it's, I do think this one is probably the, the darkest for me on the whole album. But, um, but I really like it. You know, I like the sentiment behind it, take thing, taking things too far and, um, you know, being, again, being critical of yourself. I love the horror movie piano, like Steve's, you know, obviously had that horror movie themed piano on there, which I really liked. Yeah. Sorry, Christian. No, no, I was just going to say, I, I, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a lyric listener, I have to admit. So um, we'll probably find these songs, I approach these songs probably differently to the, to maybe the pair of you, because I, I kind of listen to songs that have a hook and a catch and that make me kind of get excited. And, um, although there is kind of a, a repetitive uh, kind of melody in there that kind of catches your ear. I have to admit, it kind of left me very cold as an opener. And I just thought, oh, I, when I heard this for the first time, I played it for the first time. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. because I just thought, oh, I don't really understand what this is. And it didn't sound pretty. It was quite joyless. And I don't know, it, it was a massive, it was a massive culture shock. It was like Tim Burton had produced the album. It just felt like one of those kind of, it, from what we had before, it was a massive shift in style. I didn't like it. Uh, this track was um, apparently the fans were clamoring for this track to be a single, and I'm thankful well, to, that it, to, that it wasn't. I, to I, kill I up think... a career. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk about the second track now, Cowboy Style. So this was the fourth single off the album. However, it was released only in Australia and released on Mushroom. This was released basically because of the success of the Intimate and Live show. If the Intimate and Live concert wouldn't have been a massive success, they wouldn't have released this. And this went to number 39 in the charts. And, and going back to fans wanted Too Far to be the next single after Breathe, but thankfully wow. Cowboy Style. Now, I don't know whether you agree, Nathan, but I, I would have loved for her to re-record this and done it in Golden. And, and put the more kind yeah. of country feel on it and, and re, re, revisited this song for Golden? Yes, no, I, I completely agree. And I think, um, uh, jumping the gun a little bit, she actually, at one of the Golden Underplays, she did a, a sort of a, a rendition of Breathe, which was more in, in tune with Golden, which I thought was an interesting choice that she didn't choose cowboy style to do that. And I think it's I one love of the most, cowboy style. Yeah, it's one of the most uppy, I, up, up songs on the album, right? Yeah. Well, I, that, when, it, when I heard that one, I thought, ah, this, this is more like it. And it had a really good melody. Uh, I, I like the kind of the, the production of it. Um, and because it, it had, it was kind of unusual. I love the cowboy style. And it was a standout. And I, when I heard it was a single in Australia, I was gutted we didn't have it over here because I thought that would have been a great, that was the other kind of pop, it was one of the poppier uh, songs on the album. And I thought it was quite a good. Uh, an indicator of an indicator of what the album sounded like, but it, it was a good. It would have pulled in some of Kylie's older fans. I, think. I wonder if, if, if in hindsight, if they would have released this as the first single, because when I listen to this, it's kind of remnants of Confide in Me esque a little bit. So if they would have released this first, whether this album might have had a more of a chance, um, I don't know. Hmm, I don't know. I mean, because it is still quite unusual. It's still, I mean, dare I say this? Um, you know, the people who loved Kylie most were the ones who loved from the early days. So they loved, they were used to pure pop sounds. And then, you know, the second stage was still very sharp pop. And then this, even this cowboy style is kind of very unusual. It's not something you'd necessarily expect from someone like Kylie. So I don't know if it would have actually convinced many people to go out and buy it, but I thought it was the, a, a good song for what was on this album. 
Apparently it was written um, with regards to her first meeting with Stefan. Um, so if you listen to the lyrics, it's just, it's all about her kind of telling, you know, I shed my skin since you came in kind of thing. So it's all about that. I feel sick already listening to that. About meeting a charmer. Yeah. Oh, so shit. <laughs> pretentious. It's so pretentious. I can't bear it. <laughs> <laughs> the next one on the album, Some Kind of Bliss was released in September 97, only went to number 22 in the UK and number 27 in Australia. So this came out before the album, right? This was the first single to in the top 20, right? It was, Mm -hmm. yeah, very first single. Yeah, and and, and the first single off the album, was it? It was, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. so I love this song. When I heard this, I thought I was quite excited because Britpop was the big sound at that point and groups like Pulp and and Oasis and Blur and all, all those kind of bands were really popular at the time. And then Manic Street Preachers were a Welsh band and they, they kind of had, they'd suddenly gone from being quite kind of like rocky rock to really melodic string-based indie pop. And it was great. They had songs like um, Everything Must Go and Kevin Carter and Design for Life. And they were just brilliant summary stringy songs. And so this kind of sounds like it was done from one of the sessions from the album that they did. And, um, uh, and I just thought it was a really joyous summary song. Every time I hear it, I can smell sunshine. And I just remember the video where she's got that kind of red hair. And she's in the car, she's with Dexter yeah. Fletcher. And, and it's just a really joyous song. And it's a lovely song. And I wish the whole album was more like this. But, um, but yes, and then sadly, the uh, single did terribly. But I just think fans just didn't know what she was doing. She was like going from one style to another. And they weren't really convinced by anything she was doing. I think it was too big of a jump too fast. Yes. Yes. I, I thought it wasn't a bad song. It wasn't a Kylie song, if that makes sense. I, I yeah. don't know. I was, I told, like I mentioned, I wasn't ready for it. Um, she also mentioned in an interview about the Manic Street Peaches and, and James Dean Bradfield. Um, she said, it was quite unusual having the mixture of him and me, especially as he was in this you know, anarchist band for years and I'm a super study pop girl. So even she was kind of, you know, thinking that there were kind of a, you know, oil and water, but they produced this mm. track. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a good rock. I think it's a good rock pop track, but it just wasn't partly for me. It's so funny she says that though, because she says that it was like oil and water, or she, she, that he was a pop anarchist. And yet this is the most commercial song on the album. It's the most chart friendly song. And the rest of the songs sound like, you know, it's kind of like, um, oh, they feel like, the, you know, those people in Batman and Robin, in the alleyways and all that, in those neon alleyways and all those people with all those horrible neon masks. It feels like they've written this album. So um, I think it's weird that she says that about them and not about the lunatics who uh, she let, let write the songs. This also turned out to be an incredibly expensive experiment for deconstruction. It marked the biggest flop of her musical career and was also released the same week as Candle in the Wind. Or the single or the album? The single. I believe. It, it, to be fair, to be fair, um, Elton John's song was number one. Kylie's was number 22, so 21 other songs actually did better than her. So, uh, <laughs> in fairness, it had nothing to do with Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a shame because this song is, I mean, that's the thing. I think they released it at the wrong time when the nation was in mourning over, over the death of um, Diana. So, I mean, it's a really summary pop song, so it probably didn't feel appropriate at the time. And probably just missed the summer. Was it September it came out? Yes, so, September. Yep, September. 
I mean, I suppose it's the end of summer, so it's still got that summer vibes, I suppose. But I guess when the nation was kind of grieving Diana's death, it must have been a weird song to be kind of, you no know, one to be joyful. So maybe it was just an inappropriate song to... Uh... Limbo was released, uh, was the flip side to this track, which is on the album, so we won't discuss it. Uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that later. But the next one is also another singer that we're going to be talking about. It's Did It Again, which I love. With, Ooh. I think, the best Kylie video ever. Oh, completely. And also not the first Kylie, <laughs> also not the first Kylie video to see different versions of Kylie. We yes. see that, we've seen it throughout her career thus so far up to this point, but one of the, one of the best, most innovative versions of her fighting herself I've ever seen. It's incredible. Ooh. It was released in 97, hit number 14 in the UK and number 14 in Australia as well. Yeah, this song, I love this song. This was a great follow-up. And I thought to myself, ah, if this, these, they pick the best singles, I have to admit, from, from the album. I mean, they're the only ones that have melodies, so that, that's a good thing. But I mean, the video was very clever. It showed a real good sense of humour from Kylie. This video was really joyful. <laughs> this and the last video had, very, had lots of happy Kylie. And it kind of, even though Kylie was being quite aggressive in one of her characters, you know, it was done with, with a sense of humour. Um, while weirdly, the rest of the album doesn't sound like there's any humour involved whatsoever. I remember when she went on Top of the Pops to perform did it again. She did it with four massive, very burly-looking drag queens, all dressed up in her in her video outfit. So it was, amazing. You know, she she had so much fun with this song, and it's just a shame. It's a shame that people didn't really recognise how great these songs were at the time because the, the the singles were brilliant. I, I managed to get a copy of the video single for Did It Again, but it was in it was in PAL, and we took it to a shop in. Uh, Times Square and asked them if they had any PAL VCRs and they said they did and so we said well can you show us that it works and we made them play that tape for us and everybody in the shop stopped and watched that video and everyone said oh my god who is this this video is amazing oh my god it's a locomotion girl and then of course and then we didn't and then we didn't buy the machine because we'd seen the video so (laughs) (laughs) this was um released about the same time that she that Michael passed away in a Sydney hotel room. Uh, she, she said about Michael, I digress a little bit, and then I'll get back to the song. She said, I was dumbstruck. There was a little talk about Michael and his wicked ways, the bad boy of rock and roll and that. I remember smiling at his funeral because when the coffin came out, a big crack of thunder and lightning started as if it was on cue. He couldn't have scripted it better. In truth, I'm not sure he corrupted me, but let's say he did open up my eyes. I would have not missed our relationship for anything and I miss him. I mean, it was lovely that she went to his funeral because, I mean, he must have been very good with his girlfriends because he stayed in touch with them. He stayed friendly with all of them. So, and they all, they all attended his funeral and Kylie looked lovely. It was one of her best outfits I've seen her wear. So she, looked, she does funeral, uh, funeral fashion very well. But, um, but it's, um, yeah. But yeah, that was a very tragic story. And obviously he was uh, obviously kind of going out with uh, Paula Yates, who also had a tragic end. So it is kind of, that was a, a very weird time. If anyone doesn't, if anyone's too young to remember the story, they should look it up because it's like a soap opera, isn't it? The way, mm. the way that, that relationship kind of happened. But that's kind of non, not Kylie related. Um, the flip side to this single was a song called Tears, which should have been on the album. Yes, and it's also on the Hits Plus, I think, <laughs> as well. And um, they, when also they reissued Impossible Princess and included this song and a few others on it um, but it's a great song if you've not listened to it in a while it should, should have definitely been on the album I pass I, I, don't, I don't like it I, I, it's one of the <laughs> it, it leaves me cold I might as well be in a coma right now <laughs> I, think I, I think it's really it's really fun about you know uh, a good kind of crying uh, the next single is Breathe which was the third single released in March 98 went to number 14 in the UK and 23 in Australia 
What do you What do you guys think of this song? Oh, it's one of my faves. I liked it. it was I, really I really good. quite like this. Yeah, I, pref- I do prefer the um, to the Todd Terry mix, or there's a dance version of it, or a slightly up, more upbeat version. It's, of yeah, it's like, sped up a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and I prefer that version. But um, I, yeah, it's one of my favourite songs. It's very good. I, I still play it now, the, the dancier version. But um, I didn't like the video so much. It looked like a cheap version of, um, or a really dull version of put yourself in my place because she just looks like she's falling into a womb or something I have no idea but she's wearing a very mumsy old receptionist dress so it didn't look very glamorous and it looked muddy and orange and brown and it just looked like she was in someone's poo tube <laughs> apparently, a- apparently she hates that video like really? Being kind of- <laughs> yes <laughs> it just looks drab Is it- so this song's about oral sex isn't it? oh, oh poo tube I wasn't too far off Really? I didn't realise. Oh, yeah, gosh, it won't be long now. Breathe, breathe. It's, it, it, it is all about <laughs> oral sex. Blimey. Who would have thought? Oh, Kylie. Well, oh, she's filthy. Who would have thought? That's dirty. I'm not liking the influence of this photographer, man. But they were doing peace pipes and everything in, in, their, mm. in their, their love pads and, you know, there's probably... Hallucinogenics and such. Kylie heavily promoted this single uh, in the UK. She went on this morning, the Ben and Elton show, and even the National Lottery Live to promote this. It stayed in the UK charts for four weeks and then kind of fell away. However, this song was Kylie's 26th top 30 UK hit and was a number one in Israel. So the Israelis have taste. Mm. I think this is the point where Kylie, well, I think the nation had kind of lost interest in Kylie totally. It was this weird thing. The public didn't care about Kylie, but the, the media were still, had weirdly fallen in love with her because all the trendy magazines were putting on the cover of their magazines. She was in the Face magazine. She was in Sky magazine. She was on TFI Friday with Chris Evans. And she was doing all these, all these kind of like quite cool things. And I think um, she wasn't, in a way she, because she was mixing with this kind of crowd of people, she was mixing with, you know, art house people and people who were kind of artists and, and photographers and models and this kind of like strange world. She was so removed from the public that we, or from us, and we, for, for those of us who loved her in the early days, because we didn't recognize the Kylie who we knew from before, because there was, as I said, that kind of joy had disappeared from her, her, her look, I felt. Great. Moving on to the next track, Say Hey. <laughs> this one is tortured to get into. It's, it's got a horrible opening, really horrible opening. It's just kind of like dirgy and tuneless. And it just sounds like, it sounds like she's chopped a finger in a mousetrap. It's just boring. But then it does have a little bit of the kind of Say Hey bit is kind of all right. But it's, oh, it's just dull. Dull, 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 dull. Nathan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't, I don't have much of an opinion on this one. It's, it's, it's kind of fun, but I, I agree with you, Christian. It's, it, it takes a little while and then it's kind of boppy for, us for a little bit and then, it, and then it's done. It's a very Bjork sounding song, I think. It's, it's mm. very kind of manic. Yeah, but it's one of those ones that, you know, it's, on, it's an album track for me. Yeah. As you said, the, the, that Stefan chap was kind of uh, working with people like Bjork. So you can kind of, as I was saying before, you can really hear other people's influences on her, not necessarily, not necessarily ones she's found on her own. You know, there were literally people saying to her, you should listen to this, this is what you should be doing. And that's the worst thing that any pop star could ever do because you, you're just pushed into a box that you don't want to be in. And as we discovered later on, she looks back and realises that she had to make this terrible, awful mistake to find herself again and become Pop Kylie again. What's the next track? Is it, It's Drunk, isn't it? Drunk is the next track. Again, this is, it's a dramatic 
trippy dance track, but again, an album filler for me. Don't you find it weird that a lot of the Kylie fans apparently kind of rate this as their favourite album? And it makes me wonder, because if they started off with Kylie from I Should Be So Lucky, I mean, obviously this is very experimental, and it's, it's a very, in some ways, this is the kind of album that would get picked up by the Mercury Music Prize, and it probably would have if it hadn't been Kylie. But I wonder why that Kylie fans, a lot of Kylie fans seem to choose this as their favourite one, because I can't hear any redeeming features in it except for the... The, the main singles. I was like that when I first listened to it, but I'm now, as I, as I mentioned before, going back and revisiting this, I, I really like, I, I think it's, it's, it's good as a cohesive piece, but it's, I, no, I just, I don't think it's one of the albums that she would sit back on a Sunday afternoon with a red wine and listen to herself kind of thing. I think she, she might, I don't know, she might be a little bit embarrassed by it or the, the memories of yeah. making it might've been a little bit too hard for her. Too raw, I think. Yeah, but even after the bad reviews, a few a few years later, hasn't it? It's been re re uh, re examined again, hasn't it? And it's been uh, a lot of the critics have kind of said, "Oh, wait, what, uh, I think was it um, Q magazine said it was one of the hidden gems of the the nineties." And so yes. people kind of look back and think that kind of experimental album does kind of tickle people's boxes. It doesn't tickle mine, but it, obviously there are people who do like that kind of kind of music. But for me, it's not Kylie. So the next one is. One of my, I think my, one of my favorite tracks on the album is I Don't Need Anyone. This is the, the song that I think is a little bit out of place. Maybe it was a calculated move because they need a little bit more kind of pop in the album to break it up a bit. But uh, yeah, I Don't Need Anyone was, is a great track. This is, another, this is also uh, one of my favorites. This is another, another Manic Street Preacher song, isn't it? It's, it's a um, it cover. Yeah, it's not a cover, is it? No, no, no. They wrote it. They, they oh. wrote it with us. So they, they did two songs on the album. Which I always think is quite weird because you've got this and Cowboy Style and some kind of bliss. And they're all kind of like poppy and did it again. And then, because uh, I think this album is the least cohesive because it's got two halves. But um, this is a great song. It's so, some, again, it's another summery, perky pop song. Yeah, no, I agree. It's one of, one of my favorite on the track, uh, one of my favorite tracks on the album. And it's, um, it's, it's so like sort of fresh and upbeat, even though it's not about, um, not about anything particularly cheerful, I don't think. <laughs> Jump is the next one on the album. When I was listening to the lyrics, even though it sounds a bit depressing, it's strangely a positive song about finding yourself and jumping into the future. When I was like, and that, listening to this this song for the really listening to this song for the first time, listening to the lyrics, I was quite surprised and really and made me find a new appreciation. You know, all these years after it was first released, so quite like it. It's, it's a good one for me. I can't remember. I I had to refresh my mind today by playing it before before this, and I have to admit the last three songs. For me, I can't tell one from the other. But I, can't, I know they're different, but they, they have not left any impact on my mind. I find it very difficult to even comment on them because the songs, to me, just don't tick any boxes. So they kind of leave me flatlining at the moment. So I'm kind of flatlining like that. Yeah, I like, I like this one too. And I think, you know, it's kind of, um, it's more optimistic. But again, it's sort of the, the, the opposite sound. Um, so like, I don't need anyone. Uh, sounds cheerful, but I don't think it is. And this one sounds... A bit more pessimistic but it's actually optimistic mm. limbo is the next track which is not my favorite on the album it's it it basically sounds like a drug fueled sounding track it's yeah i mean can you give me give me a little burst of it just so i can remember it because i, I can't, can't remember it. yeah neither can i i mean is it limbo limbo yeah it's rubbish <laughs> Although, having said that, I guess it's the one with the catchiest tune of, of, the, of these songs because it's the one that's got that ridiculous... It just sounds it's like... Some really, kind of... It's really upbeat and frantic and fast-paced. I think she did, she did this great live on the Intermittent Live tour. 
uh, she, she did a cracking version of this during that show that I quite liked. Mm, not convincing me. Through the years? Skip. skip. Okay, we're skipping that track. Uh, through well, the years? It's well, the through the years is even worse. <laughs> yeah, it's my, uh, it is my absolute least favourite on the album as well. I love the saxophone on, this, on the track and I think her vocals are great, but again, it's, it's an album track and it's one of those that you would easily skip to get to the best track on the album, in my opinion. Dreams. Mm. It was, it's very ploddy. This song is very ploddy. I just didn't like it through the years. It feels like you're walking through mud, through the, through the mud, not through the years. It's terrible, terrible song. But Dreams, yes, you're right. Great yeah. song. I mean, her version of During the Fever tour was absolutely standout. Yes. Oh, incredible. I think this should have been a single. I think it would have been a I agree. There's something about it. It's just got a lovely melody and it's it's just it's a really lovely, beautiful song. And if this I mean this fits in kind of with the upbeat songs that are kind of very um mainstream because it just feels like a kind of a a, a ballad, a kind of moody ballad. It's great. I think it could have been a really good single. I would love to have seen a video for it. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I really like this one, and I think um, for some reason, um, uh, Cosmic from X for me has similarities to to Dreams. Oh, oh yes, I'll have to revisit that one because I can't remember what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, over, overall, when you listen to this, both of you, when you listen to this for the first time, did you kind of come away? At, I mean, did you come away as excited as you did when you heard "Enjoy Yourself" or, or oh, God, no. Love"? No, absolutely not. Um, no, but it was, it was so new and uh, it sounded so totally different from anything else. Mm. And I think I'm, I'm always drawn to, drawn to that, kind of, that kind of sound. And, and if I like an artist, I, I appreciate when they try something different, you know. Mm. So. And in, in the kind of subsequent years, have you revisited this album much? Do you ever listen to it? I listen to it quite often. All right, okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I do as my, well. It's one of my favorites. They need to release oh, this on vinyl, don't they? They need to actually yes. pull their finger out. Purple vinyl, it. please. Yeah, they need to. Because <laughs> it's only X Body Language and Impossible Princess. And Impossible Princess. That, yeah. that I have not had a vinyl release. I like this album. It's not one of my favourites. I like it as, as a period of time. And I think Kylie needed to do this album. It needed to happen for her then to Ooh. go on and do the spinning arounds and... And you know the fever and all that, all the all the great stuff that is still still to follow. She's exercising all her demons. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's yeah. like an exorcism, isn't it? It's kind of shaking yeah. off the hot stock ache and Waterman puppet, the everything, yeah. and have you know spewing. She's like having that. What, what, what's that stuff they have in the like in the desert? What wasaka? The that herb where you oh. go and vomit. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> yeah, it's kind. Of, that, this album's kind of like that for her. A little bit of stats for you guys. By November 98, it was stated that Impossible Princess only sold 47,000 copies. And Kylie asked if she could be let go from any further obligations from the Decon label. Uh, I'm surprised that she asked to be removed. I'm surprised they didn't say, Kylie, can you shut the door the way out? Because why would they? I mean, they spent so much money on it. And obviously they had that lunatic photographer uh, being an artist, I, I was reading uh, from William Baker that on the day of the shoot for the neon cover, he spent five days selling the the, the shoot up, and he was just uh, he was so obviously there was a lot of money involved, and they obviously made no money back. To me, it just sounds like all these other factors around her who produces album, and I even though she wrote the songs, I, I think it, actually we should go back and look at the lyrics and see if there's a hidden meaning in the lyrics saying I'm being held hostage by these men <laughs> and they're making me do shit records. Can you save me, please? Let's go back and have a look at that. Let's, let's have a look. I, don't, also, I don't think she was happy. Look that, at the old those faces on, on TV when you see her perform the songs. She's not happy. She looks 
kind of wishy-washy, and the songs are awful. <laughs> and the fan and the fans didn't buy didn't like it because I love all of Kylie's albums, but this is the one I just don't like. It is definitely the oddball out. Mm, but I also body language was the worst one, but I think this actually is. Oh so. no, see, I like body language too. Oh gosh. Mm. The, the London Evening Standard said at the time, we want pop stars to know their place. If you're going to move from pop into more credible music, it takes more than just a change of wardrobe. It takes new tunes and good ones. Ooh, yikes. <laughs> and the Independent at the time said, in an attempt to come across as a serious artiste, she has forfeited the very audience that kept her in fluffy frocks for nearly a decade. See, there you go. She alienated her fan base. And that, that's the worst thing any pop star can do. But a lot of them do it and then they come back. Should we talk about Intermittent Live now, as I forgot to talk about it during the Cowboy Style single? Hmm. So this show um, was only supposed to be a very, very short stint um, in Australia because she basically had nothing else to do. And the, the, the album was released, when it was released, proved very successful in Australia. She had great positive press over there. So basically it was a no-brainer for her just to head out there and do a promotional tour. It was so successful that all the 24 dates were sold out. It was, you know, real back to basics. We had Carol in there ironing her G-strings and everything like that. Um, <laughs> and extra dates were added, despite there being no plans for a tour outside of Australia. Word of mouth credit wow. on the UK. So she was basically from the 2nd of June to the 4th of July in Australia and the 29th of July to the 31st of July in the UK. Christian, Ooh. did you go to this show? In, I did. I went to the Shepherd's Bush. I'm not sure what it was called back then, but I went to the, the theatre thing there. That, that, that's there. Weirdly, I, I loved it. I like the pared downness of it. I really like the kind of the simplicity of the, the, the show. But I think the reason why everyone loved it is because she had so many of her old songs in it that she gave them a kind of a rock treatment. Mm. So I think she realised she had to woo people back by playing the old hits. I never saw it. I only saw it on VHS. Because I was, eight, I was 18, no, I was living in North Queensland at the time. I didn't go to travel um, anywhere oh, wow. to see it. So I only saw it on the VHS when it came out. I, you could tell the audience was sitting there during the kind of Impossible Princess songs, but when the old classics came on, you could just see them just stand up and erupt into kind of joy. Well, I think that was probably the point when Kylie realised that she had made a terrible, terrible mistake. And I, I bet she was probably on stage looking out and just thinking, oh my God, I realised that these songs from Impossible Princess mean nothing to these people in the audience. And then the minute she sings, you know, all those hits. And then when she did Dancing Queen, which for me was the kind of the moment where she suddenly, you saw her life click, click back into her eyes again. And you saw Kylie Minogue back again, not, not Kylie, Indie Kylie. And um, I think that that was obviously the, the moment that made her think, this is what my audience wants. And she, she listened to what they were saying. Probably also in, in, in addition to Dancing Queen, Better the Devil You Know was probably the most gayest thing ever to be seen <laughs> on stage. Uh, where she had all those male dancers as devils come out for the finale. And some of the most unattractive male dancers I've ever seen. Some of them were surely in their 50s, 40s and 50s, some of them. <laughs> have, a, have a closer look on the video because some of them look a little bit too old to be wearing those hot pants. <laughs> <laughs> It really was the the, uh, sort of the debut of the showgirl. Mm. Yeah, it was. Very much so. Yeah, Yeah. the the conception of it. It was, um, yeah, the conception. So Nathan, you recently bought the program, which is a very highly collectible um, Kylie item. I did, I did, yeah. I I didn't, obviously didn't see the show, um, but uh, yeah, I managed to find a copy of the program on eBay. Um, It's by far the smallest program um, and it's just got some, some photos in it and 
not a lot of detail, um, but uh, but it's it's nice imagery. The the front of it is just a big pair of blue lips with glitter all over them. Ah. <laughs> well, Nathan, what was your first Carly show? Was it the Fever? It was uh, on a night like this. Ah. Yes, and I saw that. Uh, I saw that twice. I saw it in uh, Paris at the Bataclan, and then I saw it in uh, in London. That was at the House with Apollo, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, we must have rubbed shoulders, and we didn't even know <gasps> each other. It's possible. But, uh, <laughs> so, had you seen any of the previous shows on video at that point? You probably wouldn't have seen any of the. Like, no, I hadn't seen. No. I hadn't seen anything. No. So but that must yeah. be very frustrating for for someone who liked Kylie and not be able to, because there's no YouTube at that point. So. We no have, YouTube you know, and, you know, like, like I was saying, you know, all, everything that she'd released was in a different format. So you couldn't even watch it. Um, oh. And uh, I think it wasn't until, yeah, when I moved to Paris, then I was able to get some of the older videos on, on cassette and I could, uh, video cassette and I could watch Ooh. them. Did you get hold of the fist book, the book with the big fist on the cover? I, I did have a copy of that as I, I managed to get that in Paris. I remember the first time I went to Australia, there was, I think it must've been right after it had been released because that we walked past a bookstore that had a huge life-size poster of her in the window. <laughs> and I, it was the first time I'd seen any Kylie advertising. And so I have a, I have a photo of me somewhere posed with that um, big <laughs> promo. And then when I got back to Paris, I, I found a copy. And, and, and Kieran, did you get a copy of it? Yes, but not till much, much later. Not, not until I think four, five years ago, I got my first copy of that book. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It, it apparently took her 14 months to compile that book. Really? Altogether. Wow. Yeah. My, my, my little story is, um, which trumps both of yours, although it doesn't because it ends in misery. Picture the scene. It, uh, she was doing a, a, li a live signing in Selfridges and she was uh, signing her book. I used to work at a post-production company in, in Soho. And so um, I nipped away for lunchtime to go and queue up to get my book signed by Kylie. And so this is, at, at this point in time, I had joined Say Hey, the Kylie Minogue uh, fan forum where, yes. um, you know, I was just as uh, vocal as I was then, so people wanted to hang, draw and quarter me at the time. But I think, I think they've forgiven me now because they knew I was right. But um, so anyway, I, I got to meet some of the people who were from Say Hey There, like my friend Fires and my friend Adam and people like that. So we were queuing up and it was just coming to about 10 to 2 in the afternoon, so I had 10 minutes before I had to go back, back to work for lunch. And I was so close to the top of the queue. And then uh, my boss in the tape library where I used to work in the post-production company phoned me and said, you've got to come back now. And I said, oh, can I just maybe another 10, 15 minutes? No, you've got to come back now. So I couldn't go any further in the queue. So I had to leave my book with my friend Adam, who then got Kylie to sign it. Christian loved Kylie. Um, and so, but I never got Amazing. to meet Kylie. So I was absolutely mortified. And I went back to work so angry I could have punched a granny. But I didn't because that's against the law. I could have punched Danny. Danny meant not Granny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that, that broke my heart, that did. The book, well, let's talk about the book now. The book is quite large. It's 40 centimetres high and 26 centimetres wide. It is a, a cracker of a book. And what I really quite liked about this book is when you first open it, you see two pages of Madame Two Swords of her wax figure, her first wax figure. And then at the end of the book, you've got her, well, there would have been her last wax figure at that stage, but they made two more after that. But I quite liked that it started the book with those two images. I quite liked that. Mm. But it was basically, she even said it, it was produced out of sheer boredom. She had nothing going on in 1999. And it's funny because the book kind of uh, inspires boredom and look through it. Do you think? I See, love I got, it. I it's like, so much fun. Yeah, the images it, in there it's are so, like... It's, yeah, it's so scattered. And I actually think it's really creative the way they've like... Um, taken the letters from articles and made like all those random words and sentences. And the, I especially love the, my friends and I always still joke about the, that sketch of her Kylie's beach house in Greece. And it just says no chairs, just cushions. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I find it a lot easier to read than La 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 because that's really difficult to read with that handwriting and the way it's put together. Well, La La La, didn't they, have to, didn't they have to redo it a few times because they couldn't read her writing? It no, was too, I can't. Too yeah. I think, they had to, I think they asked her to redo, rewrite some of the pieces for that. I think the only, thing I had, the only problem I had with this book is a lot of the, I mean, it was obviously, it was that mix of using old school PWL pictures and then a lot of kind of artsy-fartsy ones where you've got her on a, on a photocopying machine and you've got a drawing of her as a, as a hermaphrodite. And, and then you've got pictures of Kylie from the video clips where there's just words over the, and I just thought there was no meat to it. Some of the pictures were ugly. She didn't look great in them. The, the, the irony is the best pictures are the ones of her back in the day that they used. You know, there's a section where some people like Boy George and Elton John kind of write things about her. And I rather like that bit. Urban Welsh wrote something about her and, and Nick Cave. And that bit was good, but it was very pedestrian the way it was designed. The fonts were quite dull. But I guess they were trying to be very minimalist and mm. keep it very vague. But I mean, it, I, it's something I cherish. I would never throw it away. It kind of sums up what Kylie was at that time. And again, it didn't have Kylie running through it. it just felt like somebody else had patched work the book together. I mean, the, the, there's one photo on there that I love. It's that, the nude photo of her. I think she's backstage at GOI and she's completely nude. Um, and her back's, her back, she's still kneeling down, her, but she's looking over her shoulder. She's ah, really yes. beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, beautiful in that photo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she looks absolutely and I think, And I think she says in the, she said in an interview or something, she said it's a, it was such a joyous moment, I wanted to capture it. So you can see my nipple, what, you know, so what? Yeah. Mm. And it's also got that lovely picture by Pierre et Gilles. I love that. Uh, and sister, I, sister Mary McKillop, isn't she called? Mm. I'm yes, sure, but it, it, it's not <laughs> the Australian saint. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's stunning. I love that. I love that. I love that picture. It's beautiful. But um, it's a it's a great collector's item. It's good that we have it, and I, and I would never I would never let it go. Um, let's well, talk about one anyway, final. You'd only be able to sell it to someone called Christian. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about German bold italic. So this song ends her kind of ex- I'm doing air quotes here experiment experimental era of Kylie. It was released in October 98 and hit the dizzying heights of number 63 in the UK and 50 in Australia. And probably is the only song in the modern language that is ever written about a typeface. And the CD single was also a CD-ROM and it had a downloadable typeface of the GBI font. <laughs> Genius! I, it's yeah, a, incredible. It's, I'm not a fan of the song. I think it's more catchy just due to the film clip. It was then, it was directed by her, uh, Stefan, who was a friend and not a lover at this stage. You he mean Yoko Ono? <laughs> it is the weirdest. It is such a weird video. Was, isn't she walking around New York in a kimono with a collar on? Or? Yeah, and like a proper geisha yes. with a collar. Very, very odd. Weirdly, uh, I thought the song was actually quite good. I mean, I wouldn't, I didn't ever, I never listened to it after I heard it. But uh, when I was listening back today, because I needed to recap on what it was like, I found it actually more, more melodious and catchier than anything of the, uh, the experimental ones on Impossible Princess. So I actually think that was a better song than like Limbo and any of those terrible songs. So it wasn't as bad as I remembered it. But um, it's not really a Kylie song, is it? It's a Tawa no. Taya song. Right? Yeah, she kind of features on it kind of thing. Yeah. I wonder if she does a Abbey Road's version too. I wonder if she should put this on, how this would sound in a bit of a kind of broken down style. So I just want, before we go and talk about the Kylie Smileys and the Mononos for this album, I mm. want to talk to, just chat very quickly about Kylie the actress, because 99, <laughs> when Kylie wasn't recording and had a bit of time on her hands, she signed on for two low-budget Australian films, Sample People and Cut. Have you seen these ones recently? 
I have never seen either of those films. I've seen cuts, but I've never seen Sample People. <laughs> Nathan, you're coming over to my place to watch Cut because it's great. Apparently, it was number two in the French box office, wasn't it? It was, it was. Number two was in the Unbelievable. It was, it was. It went to video everywhere else. <laughs> and I think Australia had a limited theatrical release. Okay, let's talk about Sample People. It's basically like human traffic without the lols. Um, <laughs> that looks basically into the seedy, voyeuristic underlife of Sydney nightlife. It's a terrible film. Kylie plays Jess. <laughs> who's a gangland boss's girlfriend who basically only has a few scenes, but you see her snorting some coke, having sex. Uh, she says, fuck you. And then, you know, that's basically Kylie in the film. You know, I think it might be, you can probably get a copy of it for, for like 99p with free postage on eBay if, you, if you're lucky. If not, like, it's like, yeah, it's, it's not a great film at all. Quite difficult to watch. I like the song she did for it. Which song was that? Um, the, the Real Thing, wasn't that from Sample People? It's called, it's called The Real Thing. I, th- I thought she did it for the soundtrack, but I, I could be wrong. But it was definitely around the same time. The next film was the Australian horror movie Cut that she did. I really like this film. I watched it recently and made my flatmate watch it. Um, really good film. Kylie plays the Drew Barrymore character in this. So basically like the Drew Barrymore character in Scream. So she's basically meets her demise before the title card hits. She plays a film director who gets grisly murdered and her tongue cut out. Uh, it's a great, it's a really fun watch. I mean, if you look at it thinking, you know, don't take itself too seriously. It's quite a fun horror film. So if you have not seen it, check it out. But yeah. It has Molly it, Ringwald in it, doesn't it? It does. Molly Ringwald and a, yeah. and a, a host of uh, loads of other really kind of, uh, at that time, kind of famous Australian actors. But one, an interesting fact about this film when it was released, the Red Cross Blood Service supported the film release by giving away packs and free tickets to the premiere for blood donors, which is a very interesting marketing technique. Interesting cross promotion. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now we're going to do the Kylie Smiley's and the Monono. So each week we're going to, as we mentioned, pick two tracks, which will go on the definitive diminutive Kylie album, greatest hits album. So my, my choice for the inclusion of the album would be dreams. Uh huh. I don't need anyone. They're the two I like. Yeah, they're, they're, that's why I want. Okay. And can I put a bonus track on there, which is Breathe? Yes, because it's a great, but only if it's the remix version. Okay. <laughs> the Todd Terry mix, right? Yeah, the Todd Terry mix. I like that one. Okay, fine. <laughs> so that, 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 our three inclusion done and dusted. Oh, thanks, guys, so much. This was fun. Thank you yeah. for having me. Oh, you're welcome, Nathan. Welcome <laughs> back anytime. Stick, sticky head in any time you like. Just oh, orders I, I first. Might, I might just. <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah. Try not to wince. Uh, but, uh, Kieran, uh, obviously this is a, a, an album that lots of fans like, and they might disagree with some of our comments. So what should they do if they want to uh, get in touch to slag us off? Yes, please slag us off at the <laughs> Kylie Smiley podcast at gmail.com. That is the Kylie Smiley podcast at gmail.com. Or find us on Instagram at the diminutive collection on Instagram. So say hi. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch and we'll see you next week for Light Years. Ooh, can't wait. See you later, guys. Thanks very much.